So what I am going to do today, um, I'm going to cover... I'm going to cover some things, and then I'm going to uh, I'm going to take a few questions, and I'm going to do that as we move through in the weeks ahead. Probably just a couple questions that pertain only to what I'm talking about right now, because if you're going to try to pull me further down the road, I'm not going to answer your question. Um, so last week, I started into this into this new place that I'm in. And I, if you find yourself in a place where you're going, well, I don't agree with anything that he's saying. I respect that. Um, there was a period of time where I really didn't agree with anything I'm saying. <laughs> and if you hang with me long enough, I'll probably reach that point again along the way. And so if as I'm speaking, it sounds like I, I'm contradicting myself on maybe something I've said in the past, you're probably right and I probably am. And one of the most liberating books I read in a long time, uh, I read it some years ago, was by um, Dr. Peter Wagner, who's now gone on to be with glory, gone on to be in glory, with glory, yeah. is glory, yeah, whatever adjective you want to put there. Um, but, um, and that wasn't an adjective either. Um, <laughs> so in that book, he talked about how he had had like 11, I think it was 11 major theological shifts in his life. Huge shifts. And when I read the book, I thought, that is that is such a profound thing. I mean, I enjoyed the book. I enjoyed him walking us through the theological changes that he went through. But what, I, what spoke to me much more than that was the fact, here's a well-respected, in some quarters, person like Peter Wagner, who I have a lot of respect for, a huge amount of respect. And to be at that station in life and to come out and say, I did believe this, and now I believe this. I did believe this, now I believe this, and walk us through in his book 11 major shifts he made in his life. It's huge. It's huge. And I've noticed like on social media over the last couple of weeks, uh, because Benny Hinn is actually making a shift himself, and it's probably the beginning of the shift, not the end of that shift, that people start throwing stones and, you know, I told you this, I told you that. It's like, no, cut me a break. The guy is talking about a huge shift in his life. And can we just let him shift yeah. without all the shift? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I've been figuring out how to work that one in. But listen... We're all in that. Can, you know, do you, you realize that in, in Christianity and in, and in other, I've seen it's in, it exists in other religions too. We're not, it's not like in Christianity, we've got the corner on the market. But there's this tendency to arrive at a point of understanding that makes sense to me now. And I protect that. And I don't ever go back and look at how I got there or am I still 
is this where I'm so still supposed to be? So we take understanding and we hurry up and make understanding dogma. And once I've made a dogma, now I'm saying it can't be touched. It now has become sacred. Well, my understanding is not infallible. My understanding is not inspired. My understanding is a human being that has some level of intellect that is trying to look into who God is, look at the scriptures as honestly as I know how, to let them tell me the story that God is intending for them to tell me. And with all of us, understanding and knowledge is a progression. It's not an arrival. I can't, I can't leapfrog over six steps and arrive here and go, oh, I understand all this. It's not going to happen. I'm going to get there with some things falling off and some things becoming new. And I have to become comfortable enough with myself and my own identity that I don't make that a personal assault on me thinking, well, I've invested so much into this and now I found out this isn't true or it's not all that it was or however I... No, I needed that step to get me to this step. But this step is only a step. I'm on a journey. And I'm not going to understand, I'm not going to understand the fullness of this journey until finally I stand face to face with the one that is all that the journey is about. And I'm not even sure that puts an end to it. I think that's just a whole nother beginning on another whole level. Because we are not going to all end up as little naked babies with a harp on a cloud. That's not heaven. <laughs> That's not heaven. So this is what I, I want to start with this today. And for those of you that couldn't hear anything I was saying last week because Genesis was misspelled, and so at that point you shut down and all you could do was focus on Genesis has an eye. I apologize. We fixed that. So now you can actually this week hear what I'm saying, <laughs> providing I don't have any other misspelled words. Are you sure about that? Did no, I'm not, Angie. That's a big, that's a big load to carry for me. So if I could, this, this, didn't, this picture doesn't originate with me. I'm just copying it from somebody else and then played with it a little bit. If this stool represents, let's just call it the will of God, or you could call it the plan of God, whatever you want to call it. So if this stool represents the will of God in our life, there's, there's three legs that hold this stool up to get me there. And the first leg is scripture. And the second leg is, um, I'll call it revelation. You could call it experience. It's revelation. 
And somebody mentioned this earlier today. The third leg is fruit. This is, this is where we live as we're trying to walk out what God ha- the plan that God has for us. I got to get away from the speaker. So God has, he has a plan for me. He has a destiny for me. He's put potential in me. All those things that we talk about on a regular basis are all there. But the way I arrive here is through scripture, through revelation, and for fruit, through fruit. Yeah, just stick with fruit. Where I get concerned at times is I watch how we are maneuvering and you watch kind of what are, what's the general thought that's going on in the church and you know major leaders that begin to speak one thing or another. And we, so we have what I would call our fundamental camp And in the fundamental camp, it's just scripture. That's all we need. I saw somebody posted something the other day saying, you know, I only wish God would speak to me. And out of of heaven, there's these hands holding the Bible and sticking it down to the person. Well, that's a fundamentalist view where the scriptures are what sets the full framework for who we are and what we do and any problem in life is always mastered by memorizing more scripture, quoting more scripture, singing more scripture, playing more scripture while you're asleep. What, whatever your problem is and, and how, however incomplete you've been able to get over your problem, the answer is always more scripture. They might add prayer, but if they're going to pray, they're praying the scripture because that's effective prayer, Right? Now, and we can all, you know, look at those guys and go, yeah, I don't, I don't like that. But then there's this other group over here, which are the revelatory folk, which is really the camp that we kind of fall in. And I get concerned there when in the charismatic Pentecostal side of things, we get revelation becomes, now when I'm speaking about revelation, I'm not just talking about a fresh understanding of scripture. I'm talking about a very much broader way that we get revelation. But when we look at revelation and we make this, you know, and and we're a presence-based church and we're always gonna be a presence-based church. So I'm not slamming that either. But when we put all of our emphasis in presence and all of our emphasis in a revelation that comes out of that presence experience to the point that, I take something that I've seen, something that I've heard, and I make it dogma. I make it the the way we're going to function as a group of people, but it doesn't really square with Scripture. But Scripture gets put kind of to the side because I just had this revelation. It was amazing. Two o'clock in the morning, the room lit up. The angels were ascending and descending, and oh my goodness, it was amazing. And now I think this is what the church building needs to look like, and we're going to start new construction on Monday. And every time, you know, somebody brings something up, it's like, but did it have the glory shine to it? So we can get out of balance with Revelation. And then there's this other group that kind of can be people in here and here. I would, if I can take some liberty with this, I would kind of put 
the evangelical group here. Because what are they? They're the they're fruit inspectors. Like everything has to have fruit and the fruit has to happen like, I don't know, within 48 hours tops. Yeah, well, brother, I just don't think you're showing good fruit. No, I'm not. I'm ticked. <laughs> if you keep looking at my fruit, it's going to get worse. And I'm sorry for being that way. Um, so over here, everything gets put in fruit. What's, what's, what's the fruit in your life? How is this bringing forth fruit? You know, what, you know, okay, I just, I just saw this in scripture. What fruits it bring in your life, brother? Are you, you know, are you really showing all the fruit? Do you have all the fruit of the spirit going on in your life? And so all we're over here and everything really gets put in this point being the stool with either with any one of these legs shorter than the other, or the stool with any one of these legs non-existent doesn't function. And if I'm going to build a stool and I want it to be a sturdy stool, the other thing that has to happen, it has to be connected up here to the seat, but it also has to be connected at the bottom with struts that link the two together. So ultimately, the three legs are linked together by the struts. And a stool like this is an incredibly efficient machine. That's why they build stools. It works good. It works good on odd ground. There's a lot of things that a stool is good for. So why am I talking about this? Because as I'm trying to get us to, to move into and to see some things, I want us to realize that all three of these are important. All three of these, I think, have a equal weight when we're coming to, to arrive at what does God want for me in my life? whether it's personally or corporately, and I can't throw anyone away. I get concerned. I think I said this last week. I get concerned when I read some people that are out there now and what they're, what they're teaching and, and what they're espousing, where now it seems to be in vogue, just take huge chunks of the scripture out. The Old Testament isn't relevant anymore. It's just that story about an angry God and we don't believe in an angry God because he's a God of love and he would never do any of that stuff. So because I can't figure out why this God would do it, I'm just gonna take it out because I can't answer the question. So I just ignore the scripture. Please don't do that. The Bible is Genesis to Revelation and the stuff that's harder to understand, it's still in there. And I actually, and I'm hoping as we go through this, that we will all begin to see some of these scriptures that have been the weird ones that we all hop over or we turn into just, we, we relegate it back to men and we kind of work out a story there with men are mis, misinterpreting the scripture. And that when we look to the Bible and we look at the scripture the Bible will tell us what the Bible is saying. The scriptures are there. The story is there. The, the text around that story is there. And it, to, 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 I think I did say this last week, but to quote Harold from the roundtable discussion, which one part of that, Harold was really in form. But he, I mean, he called all of us on, a, on multiple moments lazy, 
And he just challenged me. He said, stop being lazy with the word of God. Stop throwing stuff away just because it doesn't fit your grid right now of what you think God looks like or what you think the storyline is. Stop it. Stop being lazy. Dig in there. Get in the word. And so what I'm saying to all of us as I take you through this, this journey of mine, don't be lazy with me on this. I'm not asking you to take anything I'm saying at face value and go, well, he said it, so I guess that's what we got to believe now. I'm not asking any of you to do that. What I'm asking you to do is take what I'm giving you and get in there and dig it out further and, and hear what God is saying through the word. And I'm going to give, I'm not going to do it today, but I'm going to give you some of the references that I've been using uh, as, as this. Because this, this, this whole journey here, has I, I'm, I'm now exposing myself to you in what's been probably a four to five year journey for me of reading and moving forward and going backward and not accepting and then accepting and then seeing a piece and then adding a piece. I mean, this is, this is it, you know, that, that I'm just giving you where I'm at. My, my point or my conclusion, at least at this point, is the things that I'm beginning to show you, once I saw those, it was like the dominoes began to fall. I mean, it was kind of like if you, those of you that went through Welton Academy, if you think back to when we first were exposed to covenant and Jonathan started to unpack covenants, there was a bunch of us that went, good grief. Where has this been all my life? Nobody ever talked about covenants. And then when you saw it, all of a sudden you went, oh my goodness, I've had this all wrong. And now that verse that didn't make sense, now it makes sense. Now I understand why God was doing what he did or saying what he was saying or they did what they did, all in the understanding of covenants. I think as we go, as you go with me through this place of the unseen and the seen, things are going to become, I'm trusting, more clear and what I'm I'm, my prayer for you is the same thing that happened to me, that you see a verse and, one of the, and, and in one of the books I'm reading, the writer is giving me their explanation of the verse, but I left them at about the second paragraph because my brain started exploding on some other scripture that now comes to mind that they weren't even, even talking about. And now I'm going, oh my goodness. That's it right there. That's that piece I couldn't answer. That's that piece I couldn't understand. And they un just unlocked for me. Now, they kept on writing. I just left the page and went back to the scriptures to go, this, is, this changes everything. This, is, this makes it so much more rich. I'm, I'm trusting this will be everybody's experience as we go through this. So last week, I tried to talk real fast well, I'm not any better off this week. <laughs> so last week we started in Genesis 26 and 27, and we looked at the fact that verses, that verses 26 and 27, we have a discussion going on and that we have to deal with the fact that it moves between singular and plural in this discussion. So again, then God, Elohim, said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then jumping over to Genesis 2, 4, and these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, made the earth and the heavens. So last week, what I was saying is we have this place where we've got, we've got the, the singular and the plural of Elohim, and we have this discussion, and in the discussion, as I said last week, I've used this verse as a proof text for the Trinity. Let us. See, there's, there's three. They were having this discussion. And as I said last week, I no longer believe that. I think what we actually were having, we have a discussion between um, we have a discussion between Yahweh. Elohim, which is, is Lord God. He's talking with other Elohim. And if you remember from last week, Elohim in itself isn't a deity with attributes. It's talking more in, in the Semitic, in the Hebrew uh, understanding. This just represents someone in, or some being that's in another location. It's a presence-based description. And with the, with the ancient writers, as they're starting to, to unfold the scriptures, their understanding of the word Elohim is different than probably what most of us would see it today. Today, if I say Elohim and I say God, when I use the term God, for most of us, we think singular and we think of attributes. What does this God possess? What does this God do? Where does this God, you know, what, what is his personality? Where with the, with the Hebrew writers, they weren't thinking in those terms. They were thinking in the terms of where is the deity? Because it's, the, it's the, the place where it's at. It's the presence where the deity is at. Again, if we're thinking and if we're going to step back and not think in modern terms, but think in ancient Hebraic terms, what was, when the writers wrote, what did they have in mind? What was their understanding? And, and I want to just touch on that a little bit today. Um, <laughs> And so let's turn over to Psalms 82, verses 1 through 8. This is a psalm of Asaph. God has taken his place in a divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show, show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. For they have neither knowledge nor understanding. 
They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, Elohim, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like man, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. What do we do with Psalms 82? Who is the psalmist referring to? What is this dialogue that Psalms 82 is giving us? There's a couple different views on this uh, when we'll look at those. But what do we have? We have one, God has taken his place in a divine council. So somewhere in the unseen, there's a divine council. And God, Yahweh, shows up. Interesting. With most of our evangelical theologians and scholars, what they tell us is this divine council was men. It was a council of men that were not fulfilling their responsibility on the earth, and so God shows up, and he judges them. And then they move on to the next verse. But we can't do that because that's not what the verse says. The verse says, God takes his place in the council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. So this council isn't men. It's Elohim. I mean, that's, that's the Greek word. So in this divine council, which are Elohim, God shows up. Jesus help me. I'm not trying to be real technical here. I, 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 but I just want us to get this. I'm sorry. God shows up. And then the question is asked to the council, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And they're told, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So, Yahweh Elohim shows up in this divine council and charges this council for acting in an unjust manner. But this is a divine council. How could they be unjust? How could they not be fulfilling? Because aren't, isn't it that you're either an angel, and we'll, we'll get into this further later, but isn't it like if you're in heaven and you're on, you're on a heavenly council, how could you possibly do something that would be wrong? Well, I don't know. But the scripture says they did. That they had been given charge over nations and they were not handling their responsibility correctly. They were handling it incorrectly. And then we arrive as those that would say, well, this is just talking about a group of Jewish leaders. This, is, this psalm is referring to a council of Jewish elders that have not been conducting themselves righteously. 
I don't see how we can take this scripture and go there because it says that then Asaph says to these gods, I said, you are gods, sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, I mean, Asaph stands there and he says, you guys, you're the sons of God. You're, you are the sons of the most high. And yet this is how you're acting. And then he says, Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like a prince. Well, what's he doing? We can't make, if they're men, they can't like men die. If they're men, they're going to die. So something happens in this judgment that, that Yahweh is making against this council, or at least against some in this council. It doesn't say the whole council necessarily. We're not given that piece. But there is a judgment that Yahweh makes against this council for not acting righteously on the earth in the nations. And Asaph, who is in the midst of seeing this, says to the council, to those that had done unjustly, and you guys, you, you're all Elohim. You're all sons of the Most High. But you know what? Because of the way you've acted, you're going to die like mere men. You're just going to die like a prince in the earth. You no longer have your divine status. You're going, to, you're going to be brought down because of the way you've conducted yourself. Okay, everybody do this with me. Inhale. Now I know how calculus teachers feel. <laughs> so others said that this psalm represents a discussion within the Trinity, that this, they'll use Psalms 82 as a proof text for the Trinity. The problem is that one doesn't hold water either because which one of the Trinity gets judged and is going to die as a mere man? I mean, it doesn't... You, in my mind, there's no way you can take this verse and put any human into it and, and try to make it into some human counsel. This is a divine counsel. Well, where did it come from? Why did they come? Turn over to Psalms 89. Psalms 89, verse 5. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O God, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. We're not talking about angels. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be, be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, awesome above all 
who are around him. God's divine counsel is in heaven. It's not on the earth. And this is what we would expect if we had the proper understanding of of Elohim. Humans, and we're going to explore this a lot more, and I'm still actually talking about the creation story, and I promise you we are going to get out of Genesis. I just feel like it's really important to get this so that we can start to see some other things that we're going to have to see to get out of Genesis. So we would expect the Elohim to be above the earth. We would expect the Elohim to be outside of humanity. That's why they're Elohim. That's where they are. So let's... um, Let's jump down to Job 38, and then we'll come back up in the notes. Job 38, verses 4 through 7. And this goes back to the creation story. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? This is Yahweh questioning Job at the end of the book of Job after his, you know, all that's taken place. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line out upon it? On what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstones when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who were the sons of God that shouted for joy? Some would say, again, this represents some level of Jewish leadership, but there was no Jewish leadership when the foundations of the earth were laid. So who are these, who are these sons of God that are shouting for joy over creation, over what's now being brought forth? These are the ones who were having the discussion in Genesis 20, verses 26 and 27. That was who he was talking to. He was talking to the council of the sons of God. Inhale. (laughs) Exhale. I wish I could tell you it gets easier from here. (laughs) Job 1.6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan was also there among them. Job 2.1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before God and Satan also came and presented himself before the Lord. In Psalms 29, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So this is, this is what I want to submit to you. And then I'm going to probably at this point take a couple questions. So on our timeline... We have creation. P- 
prior to creation, Prior to creation, we have Yahweh Elohim, which I want to be extremely clear. This is God. This is the most high God. This is the only God. The Elohim are created by Yahweh Elohim. They are not, I'm not giving us some kind of polytheistic view. There is one God and he is the Lord Most High. But he has created this council, this Elohim, and he's created angels. And these existed prior to creation. And once we move from creation, and what we're going to look at in the weeks ahead, there's three major events that Genesis takes us through that I believe if we can see what, what God was doing in these three events a lot of things will begin to be clear. There's creation, and there's then what we all would call the fall. The flood. And Nimrod. We're going to walk through all three of these, because if you of all the wacky scriptures in the Bible, they're all right here that we've all played with, skipped over. And yeah, I mean, the prophets are there, but the prophets are referring back to, to these. These are, these are where the stories begin. But if we can understand what, as we come through creation, what was God's plan in creation? God's plan in creation was to have this place where heaven And earth, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'll just use this. Where heaven and earth co-labor on the earth. That was the plan, right? Because we know when we get to Revelation, what's happening? The kingdom of God comes, and ultimately there's a restoration of what should have been in, Gen in Genesis in the garden that that's supposed to be now. That's where we're moving towards. So one of the things, and I'm not jumping ahead too much, but here's a question that might come to somebody's mind. Have you ever thought about why Eve one day, strolling through the garden, doing her stuff, tilling the stuff, whatever they were, she was doing in the garden. And all of a sudden, a serpent says, hey, how are you doing? I, I, I would wager to say if any of us were in our yard today, <laughs> working in the flower bed, and a serpent just came up and went, yo, how are you doing? We would not be still working in our yard. And having a conversation, like, ah, oh, not much. What's up with you? Have we ever given thought to why was Eve not surprised by having a discussion with the serpent? 
Go find out. We are going we, we to get involved in that. But So God's plan from the beginning was this. We know that at the fall, that this didn't happen. And that now we have, um, we now have two forces at work on the earth. One, the force of Yahweh that's moving forward because he never gave up or lost sight of or quit his original intention. But now we have a subversive entity and power that is also operating on the earth that is in contradiction to what God is trying to do. And so we watch this start to manifest through scripture all the way up to the present. And of course, ultimately, the big delineation is Christ. Because he, he, in his coming to the earth, all that he did, all that he accomplished was what? It's really to bring us back here to what was intended from the beginning. So, uh, okay, let me let me just let me stop there. Uh, where's the mic? Does anybody want to ask a question? I'll start at the back and go to the, or start at the front and start go to the, the back. <laughs> yeah. So when you say that uh, Yahweh Elohim created Elohim and angel, angels, the company of angels, yeah. before creation, so I'm just like linguistically I'm saying you're saying he created before creation. Yeah. So are you just simply saying creation by creation, you mean the creation account in Genesis and what we read from that? Or what creation are you talking about yeah. when you say he created before creation? Yeah. Genesis. Okay. With an eye. With an eye. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about the Genesis creation. Okay, the Genesis. Yeah, okay. I want to uh, just point out one other thing I guess I should say. It's interesting, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more, but these are referred, the Elohim are referred to the sons of God. Which, which causes, which brings to mind two things. One, it's family. Son is a family reference. They weren't directors. They were sons. He created them as sons. So there is somehow in this pre-creation world of Yahweh Elohim where he, he has established a family. It's a hierarchical family. You might even, you know, liken it to a dynasty. But the sons were created to, to be part of the father's family and carry out what the father, the creator, is doing. I think it shouldn't be a stretch for us to grab hold of what you're, uh, you're, you're teaching because I think for the most part, Many of us have often believed that the angels existed before creation. So you're speaking of another 
element yeah. of, of that. Yeah. So. And heaven, the, the other thing that's in this, in this thing that God's created, this is, you know, it's hierarchical. So we have angels and we have archangels. We have sons of God that have a place of, of authority. They have a place of uh, jurisdiction. They have an assignment. No one in heaven is just sitting around doing nothing. Everybody is there with, with the purpose of, of ex, uh, expressing and fulfilling what the Lord God wants on the earth. So where'd the mic go? Okay. Okay. Um, in that Genesis creation, one of the things, the first thing actually, that Yahweh said was let there be light. And we know light is the only measure of time. So what happens if you take that timeline and you start at the crisscross of creation Genesis and you erase the line that's on your side of it? There is no timeline in that period, if you want to call it a period. And what happens if you then take and scribe a circle all the way around the rest of the timeline and you place all of this that's been described, including the creation of angels and Elohim and all of that, in that period, the question is, what time is it in heaven? Because when we die, as witness the thief on the cross, we leave space and time. We leave space time. Four dimensions, if you want to, however many dimensions it is. So the question is, where in all of this discussion, and I think it's worthy to, to consider this, where in all of this discussion have we said words that have to do with tense and, and in any way depended on things that happen there and discussions that take place there uh, not being throughout all time because they're overarching time. Not, not trying to throw a monkey wrench, it's just, it looks to me like there's really not a timeline that began somewhere before Right. Well, God creation. is eternal, so there is no beginning. Yeah, so what right. we understand as time is, is that line. So if you erase that line, it gets a little more interesting. <laughs> That's all I'm if saying. I, I don't know saying, what it means. I erase my line and I put up your circle. Walt, did you? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, if, if that circle is basically everything that's happening that's described in the heavenlies isn't in the timeline. It's throughout it. Yeah. It's overarching it. It's outside it. The timeline is a product of it. Yeah. Instead of it being in the timeline, it, it it may it may change how some of those things are looked at. 
For instance, are the sons of God pre-existing? Because pre is a time word. <laughs> I've had to... Well, we, at least if you read through the scriptures that I just gave you, it just, it uses the word with. So right. it just puts them with. So we have no, right. we have no beginning point of them, except they were created by him. But we don't know. We don't, we don't know how long this story has gone on prior to a decision to introduce man into the equation and make him in, which... <laughs> I find it interesting in, in Genesis 26 and 27, verses 26 and 27, where with the discussion, it says, let us make man in our image. And it's plural. And then it switches back. And in the image of God, singular, he made man, male and female, he made them. So there was a discussion with the council, but there's only one creator. So let me, how many people are nervous when I'm talking about God and God? Does that, does that make anybody like, you know, like I'm somehow attacking no. God? No. You feel that way? Well, I have a question. Oh, okay. Well, good. I'm so thinking you felt that way. Oh, well, Walt's got the mic and then we'll do you and then. That's probably going to be it for today. Uh, from everything you said, uh, all of God's creation seems to have free will. Helium, the angels, if you think Satan is a fallen angel. Yep. And, of course, man. Yep. Everybody has it. And we're going to get it. We're going to spend some time on just that. But everybody has it. Yep. Doug, you want to jump in and help me get out of the hole? Yeah. Okay. This is my good friend, Doug Johnson, who you guys are going to get to know more, but you need to know this man. Well, thanks. So we're kind of studying this together. I, I started about a year ago, and Robert jumped on a couple months ago with some of the other guys. So this is all new to all of us. So we're just, like uh, Robert said, we're just trying to figure this out. We're stumbling along, but it's an eye-opener. The one thing that I understood, Robert, as, as I've read and studied, <clears throat> that might be a little confusing how you've presented it. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just my understanding is that Elohim was, had nothing to do with attributes. It was just a disembodied spirit. And Elohim is used for even for demons. Right. So angels and demons and anything that is a spirit is Elohim in the scripture. And Yahweh is the, 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 the Elohim above all Elohim. Yeah. So when, when John said, when Jesus said, you know, God is a Elohim, you know, it must be worship, spirit, and truth. So I'm just saying that might be confusing because Elohim and angel are not two separate things in terms of the word Elohim itself. So, right. So I'm just saying now, and I agree with the free will. So what I think what happened, and and words are tough, you know, because you're talking about time. God chose to allow us to come into His experience. Now we call it time, but for Him, He doesn't look at time as we do. But there was a point where someone in all of the Elohim that were created as sons of God made a decision not to act like a son of God. Yeah. And that's when you start seeing the, the after creation, Genesis, and, you, and we look at our scriptures, then you see the Elohim that were fallen that now have become demons. 
before the fall, or I don't know when the bad Elohim decided to be bad. I don't know (laughs) when when that happened. That's a big, big question theologically. But there was a point where a Elohim said, I want to be like the Most High. And of course, we see that in Ezekiel and Isaiah. Some people call him Lucifer, and that's a big, that's another big. Yeah, well, well, we're going to hit that one too. Yeah. But anyway, that was the only guy I wanted to point, Robert. It was like Elohim can be angels or demons. Basically, Elohim is just a disembodied spirit that does not have any carnality. Yeah, it's, yeah. I just didn't. Humans are corporal, we have flesh and blood. Elohim are not, They're, they're spirit beings. And the notes that I handed out last week, and we are going to get to that the next time I'm up, we will look at all the verses that break out the different places where Elohim is used for all kinds of things. The, the early writers did not, what Doug said is right. Yeah. yeah, maybe, at least for this week. Well, referring to the sons of God, um, Scripture says that, first of all, Jesus was his only son. So that's confusing. And um, also that they will die as men. So are those are the Elohim still alive or did they die? Were they judged? Were they for not doing their job properly? Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. And we're going to get to it. We're going to cover all that. Good question. There, those are all because keep in mind, Jesus, Messiah, the Christ is the only begotten son. He's distinguished above all the other sons. He is not in, is no way on an equal plane with the other sons. He, so. (sighs) Now, a lot of questions. You got, you can go home and create more. And you might say, why did he start this at Christmas time? Aren't we supposed to be talking about baby Jesus in the manger? And why is he, why is he bringing all this up? Have you, if, you, if you take what we're looking at right now and you go back and you read through the account of Luke, in Luke, of the coming of the Messiah, it is packed full of the unseen becoming seen. Yeah. It is this whole invasion of angelic activity so if we're ever going to talk about the unseen, I think Christmas is the best time to do it. Because we all know about the unseen guy that comes down the chimney and leaves gifts all under the tree. If you need prayer for, I, I'm, all, I'm going to stop there with questions. You can, you, can, you can ask me a couple afterwards, although I'm probably starting to glaze over. And uh, yeah. So uh, if you need prayer, if you need prayer after all this, come up. The ministry team will be glad to pray for you. Healing of minds. Uh, I, I sincerely hope that I'm not crashing you guys with this, but I do want us, I do want us to get it.
I, I, I would prefer not to do that at this point. Um, I mean, I don't mind it. I, you, you can email me any question anytime you want. You can email me. You can call me. You can actually come out to Monday night at Chat and Chew. We're actually kicking some of this around at Chat and Chew as well. Um, just, all I'm asking, just stick with me for a couple more weeks because we, just some, I, some things are going to become abundantly clear about what happened with the serpent and, and how, how we're now moving forward. And I want us to get there because if we can get this, it changes a lot of things. Okay, let's stand. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for not bringing tomatoes. Next week. Father God, I thank you for this great company of people. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst. I thank you, God, that you, in this time that we live in, we're watching the, the restoration of all things. We're watching your kingdom advance on the earth. We're, we're, we're sensing and seeing and, and deliberating and all the things that are going on as you're pouring in to us. And Lord, I pray for us as a community that as we walk these things out, that we'll be able to, to sit balanced on that stool and do all that you've called us to do walking in the scriptures, walking in revelation and, and having good fruit come of the things that we're doing and discovering and saying. So I bless this company, those that aren't able to be here today, your blessing upon them. And uh, Lord, just continue to work on us. And we give you all glory. Amen.